Thank you for being here. Thank you for blessing me with how you have worshipped today. And I pray it's brought real glory to the Father's name. A couple of weeks ago, we started our series on evangelism, and we, we, we started it with, with the reality of the heartbeat of Christ himself. We were looking at, at Matthew chapter 9 and how, how Jesus, as he went through all the towns and the cities and the villages, teaching and healing and sharing the gospel, when he saw the people, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And we discovered that that is our motivation. That is why we do evangelism. That is why we talk to people about Jesus, is because we care about them. Jesus cared about them. We care about them. And in that passage, he said, the harvest is plentiful. It's ready to go. But the laborers are few. That's why we talked last week about the reality that there are imperatives to to evangelism. There are the things that we are called to be. And as we begin to look in the scriptures, we, we saw the, the reality in, in, in his last words that he said before he ascended to heaven. He said, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the into the end of the earth. And we, we looked at those imperatives. That first of all, we are to be filled with the Spirit. And from that indwelling of the Spirit, which we receive at the point when we become believers, when we accept Christ into our heart, He empowers us to be a witness. We don't do it on our own power. We don't even have compassion in our heart to do it. But He puts all of that in us if we will allow it to flow through us. And that first imperative is to be filled with his power as we're filled with the Spirit of God. And the second imperative is that we are to be witnesses. And we talked last week about how a witness knows the truth, stands for the truth, and is even willing to die for the truth. Do you understand that since we started worship this morning at 11 o'clock, there have literally been people who have died because they said, Jesus is Lord. You don't have to fear that in Independence, Kansas. But some have entered into the presence of the Father in heaven because they simply declared, I am a witness. They were willing to die for the truth. There was a third imperative I didn't have time to get to last week. It's real simple. Let me give it to you. It's in the last part of the verse. And you shall be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. And if you'll go and read the book of Acts from which we started these imperatives in, in Acts 1, 8, and 9 there, the first seven chapters, chapters 1 through 7, talk about how those folks were witnesses in Jerusalem. And in chapter 8, it talks about how they became witnesses in Judea. And in the latter part of chapter 8, moving through the end of chapter 10, you see how they were witnesses in Samaria. 
And from chapter 11 through the end of the book, chapter 28, it talks about how they took the gospel to the known world at that time. They took his word serious. If you say I'm to be a witness, I will be a witness and I'll be a witness wherever I am. In Independence, in Montgomery County, in the state of Kansas, in the United States, wherever God takes me, that's where I will be. And today we're going to take it a little farther, but let me start with a testimony, a story. Not my testimony, but a testimony of another man. And let me tell you his story. It was happening on a cold, rainy, sleet-falling night on February the 13th, 1996. And there was this limo streaking down the New Jersey Turnpike. And all of a sudden, the limo blew a tire. And the driver was able to get it safely off to the side of the road, and he got out to change the tires, a good limo driver will do, while his passenger sat in comfort in the back seat of the limo. And about that time, a guy pulled up in a pickup truck. At that time, the limo driver had discovered that his spare was flat. And the guy said, hey, no problem. In the back of my truck, I have an air compressor. And so he aired up the spare tire. And then in the sleet and the rain, he said, I've got work clothes on, sir. Let me change the tire for you. And so he pulled out the rim that had the blown tire, put the new one on. Then they begin to argue because the limo driver said, i got to pay you. I've got to say thank you. And he said, you've said thanks. That's all that's needed. And they were out there beside the car. And the passenger in the car overheard it. And all of a sudden, the power window came down. And the guy in the pickup turned and looked into the car. And there sat Donald Trump. And Donald Trump said, sir, I'm going to pay you. You need to be paid. And the guy said, nope, not going to happen. And he said, I've got to. He said, tell you what, there is one thing you can do for me. And Donald Trump said, name it. And he said, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. And he said, my wife would get a kick out of flowers from Donald Trump. Donald said, done. And they went on their separate way. Next day, Valentine's Day. Knock on the door. The floor delivery guy walks up. She answers the door. He hands her two beautiful, two dozen beautiful red rose bundles with a card attached. And she took the flowers and she opened the envelope and pulled out the card. And the card read, Happy Valentine's Day from your husband's good friend, Donald Trump. (laughs) P.S. Your mortgage has been paid. 
Now let's get honest. How many of us have dreamed like something like that happening to me? But here's the question. Do you dream of being the recipient or the giver? Where are you? Turn in your Bibles to Acts. Acts chapter 20. And I'm going to introduce some things to you today. But I want to follow up this story in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. As this story is unfolding about the gospel being shared... And we're now getting into the uttermost parts of the world. It says in verse 35 of chapter 20 of Acts, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And we've been singing this morning of what God has given us. And we have received what God has given us. Eternal life and encouragement and blessings and everything we need for godliness. But his last words were to us, go and be my witnesses. Make disciples. May we begin to dream about how we can give away to others what we ourselves have received because the more we give it away, it doesn't lessen what's happened in our life. It increases in our life our joy because we've been able to see others receive what we have experienced. I want you to turn over now to 2 Corinthians And I want to give you four principles of the harvest. Remember Jesus when he said, I have compassion on them. And he said, the harvest is ready to go. But what we don't have are laborers. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into those fields. And I'm going to use a PowerPoint this morning. I don't know as I've ever used one since I've been here with you. But I just felt impressed that I needed to put this down because I want you to grab these principles. By the way, these principles apply to all areas of the life. It talks about financially, spiritually, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally. When you begin to look at these principles of the harvest, as we look at these principles, we will see how they apply to all of us. But we're going to be thinking of these principles of the harvest, of us being obedient to share the gospel, and to let the Lord of the harvest save those who need to hear the gospel and that they might encounter him and he might be the Lord. I want us to read this whole passage, chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, beginning with verse 6 on down through the end of the chapter. And listen for the things that begin to come out as we talk, as we read this. I'm not going to talk about them, we're just going to read it. Paul, as he's writing to the church at Corinth, and and he's talked about a collection that they have given. 
But listen to the other things he throws in there. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. For by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. He ends this passage saying, think about it. It is hard to explain how valuable a gift we have received in the person of Jesus Christ through our own salvation where he has blessed us and adopted us into his family if we have confessed our need, our sin and become totally dependent upon him to save us and to take care of us. Now four principles that start in this passage and we'll go into other passages. But principle number one is this. How you sow determines how you reap. He says it very clearly there in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Pretty simple, isn't it? You don't need somebody with a seminary education to tell you what that means. Sow a little, get little. Sow a lot, get a lot. Listen, as we sow the gospel a lot, as we're constantly talking about what Jesus means to us and 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 serving others, having compassion on others, and sharing with them the good news, all of a sudden there's a big harvest. We begin to see people getting saved all of the time in different places and different times. I told you the story about Kent a couple of weeks ago. And, and a used car salesman just talking about Jesus at a car dealership. 
And the man got saved. And listen, folks, you don't have to walk through the whole gospel plan every time. Sometimes just saying, Jesus loves you, is what starts their mind and their heart thinking there, there's something about that person and what they just said that rings true and that starts them on the journey. Matter of fact, it's said, and I don't know how I figure these statistically, but they have done enough interviews that they have found this to be basically true. It usually takes seven encounters with the gospel before somebody receives it. Some of us sow, some of us plant, some of us water, some of us cultivate. But God brings the harvest. Talk about Jesus very little. You won't see many people saved. That's the principle of the harvest. If you want to see people saved, talk a lot about Jesus. Principle number two. It's equally as complex. Same verse. It is implied rather than stated clearly. What's it say? Read it. Aloud. (laughs) Profound. You mean before I can reap a harvest, I have to sow? No farmer would take his equipment out to the field and turn the field over and work the field and get it all ready to plant the seed and then come back six months later and say, why don't I have a crop out there? Duh, you forgot to put the seed in the ground. Whoops. Some of us are saying, why don't we see more people baptized? Why don't we see more people professing Christ so they can be baptized? Are you sowing anything? Are you telling anybody about Jesus? It's a principle. It's not going to happen until you share. That's why you are here. He left us here in order to share. So we have to sow before we can reap. And the way we sow, either sparingly, very little, or a lot, determines on the harvest. There's a third principle. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And there's a third principle. Third principle is this. You reap what you sow. Look at verse 7 of Galatians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. What you sow is what you reap. And again, this, this principle applies to all areas of life, but we're talking about evangelism. If we are ever going to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we've got to share that with them. And we need to be doing it a lot so that we see more and more people. And we will only harvest what we sow. If we go out there and say, God is good, God is good, 
Let me tell you what he's done for me. Let me tell you what he's done for me. And we never tell them what they need in order to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. We will never see them become believers. They may be people who say, boy, that guy's got a, a great story to tell. God is just it's special to him. And boy, God's blessing him. And isn't that great? And he'll die and go to hell. Maybe even talking about how good God has been to that other guy. But if we don't tell that person, then they will never come to know Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses. You must plant the gospel. Not just good things, but the gospel. I grew up in farming country in Oklahoma. And I plowed the fields. And I helped sow the crops. And never once was I amazed to go out the next spring and see wheat in the field when I had sown wheat seed in September. I wasn't surprised at all. Now, I would have been absolutely wiped out of my mind if I'd have planted wheat seed and had corn. I would have said, whoa, what's happening here? No, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. And the fourth principle gets really exciting to me. Go back to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And again, you see this principle applies to all areas of life. But we're going to look at it from the evangelism standpoint. Because in Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 37, and listen to the contrast. Listen to the contrast. Here's Here's the principle. You reap more than you sow. Verse 37, judge not, and you won't be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Turn here. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Again, I remember my days growing up and the planting of the wheat seed. And we could plant a whole field with the wheat seed we put in the back of a pickup truck. We could plant a whole area. And next spring when the harvest came, you couldn't even begin to get it in that pickup truck. They would bring truck after truck after truck to load the wheat into those trucks and run them to the elevator and dump it and then bring it out and fill it up again. Folks, when we begin to sow the gospel and sow it bountifully, we will reap the harvest of people getting saved and it will be more than we planted 
Because just like Nellie Shuford shared with me, and I began to share with David, I got saved, David got saved, I'm still sharing. Nellie shared the rest of her life, praise God, she's gone to heaven. I'm going to get to see her someday, but not for a while, I hope, uh, because I like being here with you. But listen, it's more than she just sowed that one Sunday morning and out of her sowing the seed in my life and God saving me and me being able to share, there are going to be countless thousands of people in the presence of God someday because thousands of us are sharing and literally hundreds of thousands will be saved. I've had the privilege of going all over the world sharing the gospel and seeing people saved. And almost every one of them that I have seen saved happened because somebody else had sowed before I got there. I just happened to be there at the time when it happened. It's not about me. It's about him. And these principles work. Principles aren't affected by time, culture, change, or anything. They are rock-solid steady. And that's what he has shared with us. If you want to see people saved, so abundantly, you will see people saved and it will start multiplying because the saved will share with the lost and more lost will become saved and more saved will share and on and on it goes. Listen to this quote. I wish I knew who said it. Don't know, but it's good. Listen to this quote. It's going to be up on, on the screen for you so you can see it. It is vital to share Christ with others. Experience and expression are the alternate beats of the Christian heart. <clears throat> And if these two things are not in operation, the Christian heart ceases to beat. Then what happens? We settle down to dead forms, dead attitudes, and dead prayers. This matter of sharing, however, must not be limited only to evangelism. It also applies to sharing with other Christians the things God has shared with us. Nothing is really ours until we share it. The expression will deepen the impression. So in seeking to stay spiritually fresh, discipline yourself to share appropriate issues with your Christian and non-Christian friends. Folks, when we have experienced Christ and we begin to share that with others, Fabulous things begin to happen. And then when I come back and I share with my friends, let me tell you what God just did this week. It encourages them to begin to share. So we need to be sharing the gospel with the lost because they are lost. They are separated from Christ They're separated from the Father. And if they don't come into relationship with Him, they will be in that condition for eternity. No second 
chances. No, whoops, mulligan. No, separation forever. I really believe when the scriptures say that Christ himself will wipe away our tears when we enter into heaven. Some of our tears are going to be, man, God opened the door for me to share with that person. And I didn't. And they're in hell and I'm in heaven. And I think it's going to break our heart at that point. And Christ is going to say, that's past. We're here now. Come on in. I've missed those chances. And it breaks my heart. I've asked God, never let me forget that one time. I wish I could tell you a story. I won't. But once it was so clear, God opened the door so wide that you would have had to have been blind or stupid. I saw it. I was stupid. And for some reason, other just a coward at that point. I didn't share. Oh, I hope somebody else found that man. I hope somebody else shared with him because his blood is on my hands if he doesn't make it to heaven. I don't want to ever be in that place again. And I've said, God, don't ever let me forget that. Help me have compassion. Help me to be obedient. Help me to share every chance I get. Let me wrap this up. With a story, true story. I didn't know this. Did you know in the olden days when our Western settlers coming across this country, riding in stagecoaches, you could buy a first, second, or third class ticket on a stagecoach? Did you know that? I didn't know that. I thought, <clears throat> how do you do first, second, and third class? You all get in the same box. <laughs> And you sit on the backside looking at each other. Where is first, second, and third class? Here's literally what it was. If you bought a first class ticket, and as you're cruising down the trail, and all of a sudden we've had a fall like we've had, and it's wet, and it's muddy, and things begin to bog down, and the stagecoach gets stuck, First class passengers just sit in the coach and wait for somebody to get them unstuck. That's all you got to do. Just sit there. Second class ticket got you a different privilege. You got to get out of the coach and step far enough away where mud wouldn't splash on you as the people driving the stagecoach and the horses that were pulling tried to get it out of the mud, and you just got to watch the action. Quite entertaining. But if you bought a third-class ticket, anybody want to guess where your position was? Behind the stagecoach. You got out, you rolled up your pants legs, you rolled up your sleeves, and you began to push on the stagecoach until it got unstuck. The church needs third-class ticket holders. 
Jesus Christ is first class ticket holder by right of being the Son of God. And he said, no, Father. I will be a third class ticket holder. I choose to leave the realm of heaven. I'm not going to stay in heaven where it's cozy and comfortable. I'm going to go to earth as you have told me. And I'm going to become a man. And I'm going to live a life of demonstration. And I am going to go to the cross. And I will die so that they can go free. And Father, then you will bring me back to life. So that they can be encouraged. Not only has their sin been forgiven. But death has been conquered. Through me. And that's the good news we get to share with folks. Because not only do they need to hear it. They need to receive it. Folks. How will you sow? What will you sow? I love this quote by Paul Bilheimer. The quote he says is this, the fate of the world is in the hands of nameless sinners. Folks, your name will never go up in lights when you share the gospel. But someone will praise God for what you have shared with them. And I also like what Dwight Robertson shared. It is time for Christians to stop looking for spotlights and start looking for the mud puddles of life. That's it. That's it. And a question. Will you sow this week? No, no, no. Let me, let me ask a better question. Will you sow today? Today's the only day you've got. You may not be here tomorrow. Today is the only day you have. And if you choose to sow, will you choose abundantly or stingily? But here's the real question. Who do you already know? Who has the Father already laid on your heart? Somebody that you know. I need to go share with them. I need to take the initiative. God has already laid them on my heart, on my mind, on my soul. I've been praying for them. I need to go and see them. Buy them a cup of coffee. Buy them a Coke. I am a burrito. I don't care what you do, but go and talk to them. My friend, I have experienced the most life-changing thing that anybody could ever experience. Would you mind if I shared with you? That's my intro line every time I start. And guess what? Not one person has ever said no. Not one. Now, there have been a lot of them when I said, well, 
let me tell you about it. And I start telling about it. They say, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear about that. No, no, no. It's fine. I got the seed in their heart, in their mind. They know a guy that says the greatest thing that ever could happen happened to him. And who knows but what that begins to move. And then number two comes along and number three comes along and all of a sudden number seven human comes along and says, can I share with you the greatest thing that's ever happened? And he said, I wish you would because I've been hearing about it and I need to do something with it. How will you sow? Let's pray. Father, you've had to knock me around to get me where I am, Father, and I Thank you for that. Lord, do business in this room. We say we want to be like Christ. And he held a third class ticket by choice. And he provided salvation for us. May we roll up our sleeves, so to speak, and go start sharing. Sowing. It's the only way the good news is going to get out. It's what you've told us to do and you've empowered us to do. So help us to do it. Father, if there's somebody here today that says, man, I I keep hearing about this relationship and I keep hearing about changed lives and I, I keep seeing the excitement, the expression of what has happened in other people's lives as they have shared what God has done for them. But I don't have that that peace. I don't have that security. I don't know Jesus. If that's you, today would you let him save your soul? Would you at least listen to the gospel story out of the scripture? what it means to be saved. Father, would you save me for the day? In Jesus' name, I pray. I want everybody to stand up. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Nobody looking around. Our men are going to be here at the front. If you need to talk to someone, if you need to pray with someone, if you need to say, I need to hear that gospel story, I want to know that if I were to drop dead this afternoon, I would have a relationship with the Father. Please show me how I can have that. Come, be part of that. Maybe some of you need to say, hey, I'm like T-Mac. The door swung open wide and I've ignored it. Pray for me that I'll begin to share. And I won't ever let that happen again. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I want to be a part of a church that understands we have a task and we need all hands on deck. We don't need a few. We need a bunch. And I want to join a church like that. I want to be part of a church like that. Whatever your decision is, while Stephen plays, these men are waiting for you. You come, talk to them, pray with them, do whatever the Spirit of God is leading you to do at this point. You come.